Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 118 and a third for October the 2nd, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here this week in Berlin, Germany, at the Virus Bulletin 2013 uh, Security Conference. Uh, by the name, you might guess that uh, it's where the antivirus industry and those associated with it get together and try to share some of our best ideas and approaches to tackling the cybercrime problem from as many angles as we can think of. And this week, I'm here with James White, a senior threat researcher from Sophos Labs in our UK office. Uh, welcome, James. Hello. So you published a paper about the zero access, uh, I guess it's a Trojan now. At one point you talked about different things of it having rootkit capabilities. Uh, it's always been a Trojan, but there's some new approaches to this piece of malware that um, I guess are somewhat novel, or at least you've been able to do some observations to learn a lot about it. Now, there was a, a vendor who uh, said they were able to, to knock out a half million node chunk of the botnet that's part of this malware this week. Um, what do you what do we know about the volume of this? I mean, is half a million a lot? Is it a little? Will it have much of an impact? Uh, so half a million is probably quite a sizable chunk of the current existing nodes on the botnet. Um, but the number of new installs of zero access that happens on a daily basis is sort of 100 to 150,000 uh, per day. So it doesn't take very long for 500,000 to be replaced. And the sort of thing about those nodes is that the churn rate on infected zero access machines uh, is really high. So machines don't really stay infected for very long. So those 500,000 infected machines might not have been in the botnet for very long. And they may even have re been replaced through sort of the natural cleanup process. So, I mean, it, it's good in that in it inconveniences the bad guys, which is always a good thing to do. But unfortunately, it doesn't really take them too long to replace the damage that's been done. So with all these new computers entering the botnet all the time, I guess that gives the criminals an opportunity to continually iterate on their code because they've got lots of fresh meat coming into the botnet that they can introduce versions to, I suppose, when they're when they're initially infecting them. What's the response been to the work of the security community? So, I mean, you can take out chunks of the botnet. Of course, there's different detection techniques that we all use that, that must have some efficacy in, in, in blocking these guys. What kind of response have they made to uh, to the efforts that uh, the security community's taken to shut them down? I think Zero Access is, is one of the most notable families in their response rate to work that gets published by the security community. Um, for example, the, the recent sinkholing that was done, um, they decided to execute it because there was a new version of the bot being pushed which made it immune to the technique they're using to sinkhole the botnet. So it's quite likely that the authors um, were releasing this new version in response to a uh, academic work that was published earlier in the year which highlighted various ways that you could uh, sinkhole the zero access botnet. The, the speed with which the zero access authors respond uh, was emphasized last year when Sophos released a paper on zero access highlighting a way in which you could count the total number of infected machines. Three days after we, we released this paper they took out the uh, technique they were using that allowed us to calculate the botnet. So the zero access guys are, are really really sharp on monitoring what the security communities are doing and responding to uh, what they publish. 
Well, and watching your talk today, it sounds like they're responsive in other ways as well, which is, uh, uh, you know, looking at, for example, network traffic. You were talking, they disguise some of the the reporting home when the thing's initially installed and, and different components as encrypted or obfuscated NTP traffic, for, uh, looks like the time protocol or DNS traffic and that type of thing. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because I, I guess it's still pretty noisy, right? If you want to detect this on your network, if you're using IPS, if, if you're monitoring your firewall and only allowing NTP traffic to go to perhaps a predefined set of known NTP servers, for example, there are ways that you could be alerted to infections on your network. It's a very good point about the the main peer-to-peer protocol itself is really, really noisy. There's loads of data going out. It's fixed port addresses and the actual data itself doesn't change very much. So it's not really that hard to detect the main peer-to-peer traffic. So the sort of other bits of their network communication, they send out very rarely. Um, for example, they, they, they hide some of their uh, phone home traffic as uh, they try and make it look like DNS data, they try and make it look like NTP data, and it's sent out very ra- very rarely, and it's intermingled with all the really noisy peer-to-peer traffic. So it's really hard to notice that this is going on at all in the first place, and to notice that it's caused by zero access itself rather than some normal function of the operating system's execution. Considering it's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, uh, I guess at least I've been doing some research on this. I found that it's uh, Canada, the United States, New Zealand, Australia, and parts of Norway, uh, from what I can tell. But uh, this month when we're doing podcasts, I'm kind of asking folks what is the number one tip for people to remember. If there's one thing folks can take away to do that will make them safer online, whether that's uh, you know my mom and dad or their sisters and brothers, everyday people using the internet. One thing they remember from October: what is it that will make them uh, safer online in their in their travels? One of the main infection vectors that annoys me that it still works so effectively is through email, and this this works because people still fall for really easy tricks when they're sent something that sounds interesting through email they'll open an attachment they'll click a link and it gets them infected I think people need to be more suspicious of what they receive through email if this isn't something that they really know they should be receiving then they should mistrust it and they shouldn't just blindly open the attachment or click the link I think if you can take that infection vector out the equation, we can then start focusing on the other ones. That's a good one. Thanks for pointing that out. And I mean, I think we've made progress on this. Like people are aware now that perhaps clicking links to funny cat videos in their email isn't such a good idea. And we've got them to stop opening screensaver attachments and this type of thing. Now we've moved on to the I guess the bad guys posing to be other more legitimate. We're making the bad guys have to knit better stories to trick us. Those of us that have done email for a long time like used to like to say uh, uh, email is not a file transfer protocol. So if you just consider not transferring files through email and if you need to conduct things online, look at secure cloud services, look at alternatives to getting your files across, maybe that'll get us out of the habit of just opening anything we find in our inbox as if it's a shiny new package around Christmas time that just came with an Amazon logo on the box. Thanks very much for your time, James, and uh, really enjoyed your, your talk today. And uh, that concludes Sofa Security Chat Chat 118 and a third. For all the latest stories and news on security, please check out nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com via RSS or on iTunes. Until next time, stay secure.